And so he's giving Timothy this, uh, and again, the, re the reason that it's 2 Timothy is the second letter he written, he'd written to him specifically. Uh, and, and he's giving him just a list of things that he, he feels like is important that he wants to share with Timothy um, before he dies. And, and so uh, we've talked a lot through uh, these first few chapters in Timothy. There's, there's a lot of persecution of the church in general going on. And so um, persecution at that point is people getting put into jail, people getting killed um, because of what they believe. And so uh, a lot of people that are experiencing that, some to the point that they uh, stopped identifying with Paul altogether, uh, because if Paul got put in jail for this, uh, and people know Paul and that Paul is a leader uh, of the church, uh, then if you were around him and, and put in that same category as him, then there's a good chance that you would be put in jail or persecuted yourself. So a lot of people were, were bailing on Paul and uh, the things that he had taught them, but Timothy is one of those that remained faithful. And so Paul is writing to him, um, and just encouraging him and, and reminding him of what to stay faithful in. Uh, and so we are in 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 3. Uh, we're just going to be in verses 10 through 17 tonight. Uh, so 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll get, dig into it. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Uh, just pray that you would open up your word to us, Holy Spirit, that you would speak uh, like only you can, that you would reveal truth to us, that you would show us what it is that you want us to see. Um, and what it is that you want us to apply to, to our lives individually now uh, through uh, what you've written in your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we'll start in verse 10. It says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, uh, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, um, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, all the, out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Uh, so he 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 says this. He gives this list of things. Uh, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, or my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, and the places that those things happened. And so he's saying that, that Timothy was following along with not just following along with Paul, Paul's life and what was going on in it, because um, again, they've been separated for a while now, um, and it's not quite as easy to just uh, send a text or something like that back then, right? So he's following along with Paul's life and, and is being informed of Paul's life, even though they're in this, they're separated by a lot. But also, I think some of that that's in there too is he, not that he just follow along and hear about what was happening, um, of, of course, that's the case with persecutions, but he also followed in Paul's footsteps. So he followed Paul's teaching. He followed Paul's conduct. He followed his purpose in life. He followed his faith and his patience and his love and even his perseverance and some of his persecutions and sufferings. Timothy walked in that and, and followed those things. And so uh, really as I was reading through this section, there's, there's four questions that came out to me when I was studying through this. And that's really what I want to highlight tonight. So if you are the type of person that wants to take notes or wants to write something down, um, there's four questions that, that came out of this text to me that, that, that I asked myself and, and maybe it would be helpful if you ask yourself. So we're just going to break it down two verses at a time. Um, 
So 10 and 11, 12 and 13, and we'll just work through two at a time. And, uh, and I have a question for each set of those, those two verses. So a total of four questions. Uh, in this first section, verses 10 through 11, the question that came out to me in this was, who are you following? Who are you following? Because that says a lot about who you are and what you want and where you're at. Um, the people and the things that you follow shape your life. As much as you don't want to believe that or you want to deny that, the things that you follow, the people that you follow, shape your life. I'm sure you've heard this growing up. I'm sure you've heard this before that like, be careful who you hang out with, those kind of things. That the people that you hang out with, they will shape you. And there's, that's truth. There's biblical truth in that. That the people that you are around, the people that you are following, the people that you... So this can be friends. This can be friends that you follow. Like you look at their life and you want to be like them. This could be celebrities that you follow. Uh, anybody that you follow. And look at all the things that he lists in, the, in this. He says, follow their teaching, their conduct. So... Not just the things that they say, but following that, following the, same, the things that they say, their instruction, following their conduct, the way that they live their life, uh, following their purpose in life, um, their faith, what they put their faith in, their patience, their love, um, these things. So, so if you think about that, the people that I look up to the most, the people that I uh, look at their life and I want what they have, like, think about your own life. Answer that question for yourself. Who, who am I following? Who am I following? Because the people that, that come up into your mind, like, the, the people that you think about, you think the highest of, right? If you think about the people in your life, you think so highly of that person that you idolize is a word that we use, or em, you want to emulate that person. Uh, those, the, the, the things that that person is driving towards, the thing that that person is living for, are then the things that you want to follow and you want to live for yourself. So think about the people that you want to follow, whether that's, again, friends or celebrities or coaches or teachers and things like that, that you, a lot of those things you probably don't even consciously think about. You may say, like, I really like this person or I really like that person. And then you end up wanting to do this, the same kind of things that they do because you, because you like them so much. Uh, and so ask yourself that question, who am I following? Who am I following? And, and, and I guess the follow-up question to that, uh, in addition, under, underneath that same big question, is once I know who I'm following, wh where are they leading me, right? Because Paul is leading, Timothy is following Paul, and Paul is leading him towards Christ. The way that Paul lives his life, the teaching that he's talking about is the teaching that we have in Scripture now, the things that we have been reading in 2 Timothy and other places in Scripture uh, the conduct, the manner of life, the life that Paul leads, you hear about Paul again. I know I've said this before in here. He was a guy who was trying to kill Christians and trying to destroy Christianity and all of a sudden he experiences Christ, he meets Christ and his life has changed forever. And he's blinded and then three days later he is preaching the gospel, he is preaching about Jesus, he's trying to tell everybody about Jesus that he possibly can and how much Jesus will change their lives um, and so he goes from killing people that are talking about that to be, being the number one proponent of that, the number one person who's trying to tell as many people as possible about who Jesus is, and that's what he's living his life toward. That's, that's the conduct of his life, that he's going everywhere he possibly can to 
tell people about who Christ is to the point where it gets him in jail and eventually gets him killed. What's his purpose? His purpose is to bring Christ to people so that they would be free. His purpose is to set other people free. Set other people free from sin and death and the things that they're struggling with. His faith is in Christ. He has patience and perseverance because of Christ. He has love for other people because of Christ. And he gets persecuted. He suffers um, because of those things. But this is what Timothy is following in. He wants to be like Paul who wants to be like Christ ultimately. So think about that. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to in your life? Who do you listen to what they say and you like really want to apply that? And where would that person lead you? And again, that is parents, friends, that's, that's even celebrities, that's even music and things that you listen to. Like who do you listen to and what are you letting in your life? What direction is it taking you? So that all falls under that one question, who am I following? Who am I following? Uh, and again, Timothy is following this guy who is following Christ as close as anybody else I've ever seen or heard of in my life. Uh, and he says, the persecutions and, and sufferings that happened to me at these places, and then he says, uh, which I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And so this guy that he is following, he's not even complaining about those things that happened to him. He's even giving God glory in that, that even though these things were rough, these things that you know about, Timothy, you also know that the Lord rescued me and delivered me and set me free from all those things. So that's the kind of guy that, that Timothy is following. Who are you following? In the next two verses. Verse, verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, it says, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. doesn't say you might be persecuted. doesn't say... Maybe, but it says if you live your life for Christ, if you live sold out for him, and you live your life to try to, to try to honor Christ, and you live your life in that way, that you will be persecuted. So scripture is helping us to, so that we don't have some kind of false expectation. That if I just, there's so many people that put that message out there, that if you just follow Christ and everything will work in your favor and life will be good. That's what you call the prosperity gospel and that's a lie. It's not true. If you follow Christ, what Scripture actually says is that you will be persecuted. That things will happen to you. People will come against you because of what you believe and because of what you're trying to do. Because the reality of life, like we've talked about before in here, the reality of the life that we live is that we are in a kingdom at war, uh, a world at war between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And there's an enemy that we have that is battling against us. Sin, our flesh, Satan. Those, those things battle against us all the time. Uh, and, and, and sin, the world, and, and Satan, they battle against us all the time. Uh, the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. These things are, we are in a war like we've talked about before. If you don't get that much, uh, then you don't get the, the weight of this. That if we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, of course we're going to be persecuted. Because basically you pick a side. 
we've talked about this before in here too, that, that there's no neutral ground. This idea that you can be neutral in this war of the world that we live in, that's a lie. That you are either for Christ or against him. There's no like, well, he's okay. It's either you are against him or you are for him. There is nothing in the middle. And it says if you desire to live for him, if you desire to be on his side, live for him, give your life to him, you will be persecuted. And it said, but evil men and imposters, deceivers, will, be, will proceed from bad to worse. They'll, they'll go from deceiving and being deceived. They will continue to be led astray from the truth and lead more people astray from the truth. So the thing that stuck out to me here and the question that, 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 I, that came out of this section for me was, what do you desire the most? Ask yourself that question. What do you desire most? What do you desire most? Is it to live a, a life that is that's honoring to Christ? Do you desire that most? Or do you desire being comfortable? Because a lot of times that's the battle for me. I think that's probably the number one battle in my life. That A lot of times in my life, if I'm honest, I really just want to be comfortable. Like I just, I want comfort and I want things to be easy. And very seldom has that happened in my life. I want things to be easy and I want things to be comfortable. And a lot of times I will make decisions to get more comfort or more ease. Uh, but if my desire is to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, and that's above everything else, I can guarantee you I'm going to be uncomfortable a lot of the time. It's not that I never get comfort. It's not that there's never times that are easier than others. That's not true either. It's just that if I'm living for Christ and I am, a lot of the keys of living for Christ is living for other people than yourself and that causes a lot of discomfort in your life uh, and it puts you in a lot of uncomfortable positions. And so what do I desire most? Do I desire comfort? Do I desire acceptance? The praise of other people? Is that what I'm after? Because if that's what you want most, then that's what you will pursue. That's what you will run after. That's how you will live your life. If your desire above everything else is to live for Christ, then that's what will happen. Like you will, you will live towards that goal. You will try to do whatever you can to live towards Christ, to, to follow in Christ, even though you know that what Scripture promises for living for Christ is persecution. That's, the prom that's one of the promises that we get, which is so uplifting, right? Uh, but we're also promised that, it, that, it, that it's, far, it's far more worth it to live for that than to live for anything else. So who are you following? What do you desire most? And these last, these last four verses um, are going to key in on Scripture and what, how that plays into all of this. Uh, the next two, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is encouraging Timothy in this way to say, hey, continue in the things that you've learned. Continue in the things that you know. Continue in the, in the truth. Um, because again, what's happening at this time, you've got to go back to the context. There's lots of people that are, we've talked about this in the past several weeks, there's lots of people opposing the truth. There's lots of people uh, preaching different ideas than the, gospel, than the actual gospel. 
and saying, no, 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 like what you heard before isn't true. Here's what it really is. Here's what the gospel really is. And so there's these uh, false teachers that are out there that are telling people they should follow this instead of following the actual truth. And so what, what Paul is doing is telling Timothy, no, no, continue in the things that you have learned, the things that you have become convinced of, that you've become assured of, that you have firmly believed, knowing from you have learned, whom you have learned them, that's Paul, and from the childhood you have known the sacred writings, the, the scripture, which are, able to give, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's pointing them back to what I love, that, those, that, that word continue in, those two words continue in, that word is abide. It's the same word that's used in John 15, 5 that says if you abide in me and, and I in you, uh, that, 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 the verse that the verses that talk about Jesus being the vine and that we are the branches that are plugged into him and we get life by abiding in him, this is the same word that's used here. When it says continue in, it means abide in, remain in the things that you have learned, the things that you have been convinced of. So abide in the truth. Rest in that. Remain in that. Uh, so my, my question in these two verses is, what are you abiding in? What are you abiding in? Because if you're abiding in the truth, if you're abiding in Christ, we've talked about this lots of times, you get life. Just, that's why he uses that example of a branch and a vine. The only way that branch lives is if it's plugged into the vine. If it's broken off, then it dies. If it's plugged in, it not only does it have life, but then it produces more life. It produces fruit and it produces life giving things to other people. But when it's broken off, it's dead and it, and it doesn't produce anything for anybody. And the only use it has is to be burned. That's, that's the illustration that scripture uses. That if we stay abiding in Christ, in this case, if we stay abiding in the truth, that we will have life. That that truth, it says that truth is able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So abiding in the truth is what brings people to the knowledge of salvation, to the understanding of, of faith in Christ, is abiding in the truth. I feel like this is all, this is like, when I talk to people now about living for Christ and living out this life in Christianity, that it always comes back to more truth in my life. Because truth is what, what, the truth of who God is, is what keeps me grounded and keeps me plugged into him. Because if, if I know who he is, and I know the truth of who he is, then I will want to, to rest in him and remain in him. Because he's that good. And I'll, I'll probably tell you the th same thing every week. If you do not spend time in scripture, if you do not spend time in the truth, and you have no idea who God is, then of course you're going to battle and you're going to fight back and forth between remaining and abiding in the truth and abiding in this relationship with this girl or with this guy or I'm going to abide in pornography or I'm going to abide in drinking and partying or I'm going to abide in school and just getting good grades or I'm going to abide in just my family. Like you will abide in all these other things if you don't know God. And if you don't know scripture, then you don't know God. You can hear about him from other people. You can hear about him from other places, but it's called God's word for a reason. It is his word. And we're going to get to this in the next verses. It says that it is God breathed. It is 
literally breathed out by God. And he describes himself in his word. He tells us who he is. He tells us all these attributes of who he is, all these specific things of who he is. He tells us big things and small things about who he is. He tells us all these things about himself in scripture. And so if you know it, then you get this clear picture of who God is. And if you get a clear picture of who God is, you will trust in him. Scripture even says that those who know my name will put their trust in me. If you know his name, if you know who he is, and you see that, you can't help but put your trust in him because he is that good. And when compared to these other things that you're trying to get life in, that relationship that you're trying to get life in, that, those grades that you're trying to get life in, anything, fill in the blank. Anything else that you try to stay plugged into to get life, when you hold God up next to that and who he really is, he is so much better. I was telling somebody today when I was meeting with for lunch that I was talking about my life before Christ and how I got into drinking and partying and doing those things. And, and a lot of people, when they share that testimony, right, then they'll say like, man, it was so damaging and it was like, it was horrible. And, and it led to stupid places. Don't get me wrong. It led to stupid places for sure. But I had a lot, lot of fun getting drunk. I had a ton of fun getting drunk. It was really fun. I'm not going to be a person that sits up here and lies to you and say, like, that was so horrible every single time. It was fun a lot of the time. But when I put God up to, next to being drunk, it's not even close. It's not even close to how much better he is than that. And that's the point, is that he is far better than any of these other things that we ever run to, no matter how fun they are, no matter how whatever they are no matter how good they make us feel in that moment right then, he is far better than all of that. And if you know him, you will see that. And the craziest thing that this, that, think about this. The God who created every single person, the God who created this world that we see, all of that, the God that's so big that he created everything in this world, planets and things like that that we can't even, and galaxies that we can't even really fathom, from that stuff that that's bi that big to the stuff that's so small that you can't even see, all the microscopic things that, that make up life when you're studying in biology, all the things that have to work together so that we could even breathe. The God who made all of that cares about me enough that he says I can have life in him and he wants to know me. He, he wants to know you. He wants you to know him, and he was willing to write it all down about who he is, so that all we, literally, all we have to do is, is read about him. He, he wrote it down in scripture for us. He gave us scripture that's a book all about him, this God that's so gigantic that he put it down into words so that we could read about him and see him for who he really is. And we could have a relationship with us, with, with him. And then that we would read about him and see who he is. And that we would see that he is far better. And having a relationship with the creator of the universe is far better than all these other things that we waste our time on. He didn't have to do that. But he did. He gave us this. His word. And so many of us 
We just ignore that. Like, yeah, like, I'll, I'll get to it. It's okay. Like, I'll read maybe something one, one of these times. Uh, but I have all these other things that I've got to do. I'm busy too. I use the same excuses. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. But you find time to do the things that you want to do. If you really want it, you'll make time for it in your schedule. No matter how crazy your schedule gets, if you really want something, you will make time for it. And the offer that we all have is knowing the creator of the universe intimately in a way that fills us like nothing else in the world can fill you. That's the offer that all of us get. In Scripture, the truth, abiding in the truth, is so key to that. I can speak up here every week, and you can come every week, and that'd be the only truth that you hear. And it's good, like you get to hear some truth. But nothing replaces getting into the truth and abiding in the truth on your own. Nothing can replace that. So he, he's, he's pleading with Timothy, like, abide in the things that you've learned and the things that you know, the things that you've believed in. In Scripture, that, that give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he even points Timothy back to the gospel truth, that his faith in Christ, from what he read and understood in Scripture, the truth that's written down in Scripture, that faith in Christ came from all the truth that's, that's wrapped up in Scripture. And so even our, our salvation is wrapped up in this. Our eternal destiny is wrapped up in this. So what are, what are you abiding in? What are you abiding in? What are you remaining in? What are you keeping yourself in? Is this, and is it, is it really giving you life? You're the only person that can answer that for you. You're the only one that can be honest enough with yourself to say, like, is this what I'm abiding in? Is, is this relationship or pursuing this or, or pursuing school or pursuing this sport or whatever it is, if that's what I'm really going to and abiding in the most, is that really bringing me life? And then these last two verses says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it says every bit of scripture from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, every bit of it is, is, is worthwhile. Is, one, it's every bit of it is breathed out by God. Some versions say inspired by God. That word means God breathed, meaning literally that he breathed out these words, that they are from his mouth. And so some of you... I want to address this just because I'm sure somebody in this crowd has these questions like, okay, all of this that we're talking about, about Scripture and truth, all of it is based in, if this is true, then basically I have, the, the assumption is that I believe the Bible is true. 
that I believe the Bible is true and that I believe it's God's word and I believe that it can be uh, proven that it's true. And so why would I even believe that? Why isn't this just like a, why is this just not like, you know, why isn't it like an, any other book? Somebody could have just wrote these things, right? They are people that authored this, right? So why is it, why is it something that I should believe? So anybody that, that that's where you're at, and that's a good question. You shouldn't just believe things blindly, right? It's good to have reasons to believe things. Uh, so is the Bible truly God's word? Is it really something that we should pay attention to? Because if it is truly God's word, if it is breathed out by God and it is his words, and that's truth, that it is the word of the creator of everything, then, it, then we should study it, we should obey it, and we should fully trust it. Like anybody that can think logically should think that way. That if this is really what God wrote, then we should study it and we should follow it and we should trust it. But then the, the question is, is it really something that God wrote? Uh, and there's different, what, what people would say, internal evidences and there are different external evidences. The internal things are the things that Scripture says about Scripture itself. Uh, one of them is the one that we just read. All Scripture is inspired by God. You see that in other places in Scripture, that same idea, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, is inspired by God. And so those are, that's one of the internal evidences, that there's things within the Bible itself that, that testify, that bear witness to it being written by God, it being God's. And, and, and one of those things is the unity that you see in Scripture. So... The Bible is actually made up of 66 books, okay? 66 different books in the Bible, written on three different continents in three different languages over a period of approximately 1,500 years from beginning to end by more than 40 authors who came in from many different areas of life, right? So over 40 authors over that time period. But if you read the Bible beginning to end, everything is unified. There's not anything that's contradicting um, so the same people that, like, you see the same truth all the way throughout it. So the unity of Scripture, despite all the different authors, all the different places that it was written, over the amount of years that it was written, the only way it could be that unified is if there was actually one author, which there is, God. So that's one of the internal evidences. Another one is prophecies. There's lots of prophecies in Scripture. There's lots of prophecies of this is going to happen to specific countries or groups of people, um, and then a lot of the ones about Jesus himself, uh, prophecies about where he was going to be born, um, uh, prophecies about when he would die, how he would die, that he would rise again, and all those prophecies that are in Scripture that have come true. Um, not any other books like that, where all these prophecies that are written down have, have come true. Um, then there's just authority and power of scripture, you, you see people that give their lives to this and their lives are changed forever. Uh, and then the external evidences are things like the history of the Bible. Like if you compare the Bible against any other histor historical text, like there's things that you have to, any historical text, some of them that you would like read in high school, right? If you ever, I think you probably still read parts of the Iliad and things like that. Uh, the Iliad by Homer, and, and, and manuscripts like that that are historical texts that were written years and years and years ago, and people verify the validity of that, of that manuscript because of the original versions that they've found. Uh, 
compared to any other book in history, any other book in history, any other writing that, that people look up, like archaeologically, any other writings, the historical accounts of the Bible have been proven time and time again to be accurate and true, and it's actually the best documented book from the ancient world. It's the best documented book from the ancient world. So like, not, just, not just Christians believe that. Like any, just anybody who's a historian, if they had to look at it like any other text, it's the best documented book than any other book in the world, and it's the best-selling book of the world. Uh, Another external evidence besides that one is that a lot of the guys that wrote Scripture, that, that, that wrote this book and, and, and talked about Jesus being who he is, uh, they were willing to die for what they believed in. Most people that make stuff up probably aren't willing to die for the stuff that they, that they just made up. And so you see that, people that give their lives over and over and often suffering excruciating and painful death for believing these things to be true that they have written down. And then one of the other things, the indestructibility of the Bible. Because it's so controversial, because it talks about these things, it has been attacked probably more than any other book in history as well and it has survived all this time. And so I wanted to at least mention those things. That's not an exhaustive... Um, Here's why you should believe the Bible is true, but it's at least some steps to that. You can, you can look up so much information on that on your own if that's something that you're interested in, or you can ask me some questions. Uh, but point being that this is something that both in Scripture and outside of Scripture is something that can be trusted to be true. And so these last two verses, all Scripture is, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. Everybody kind of understands what teaching is. Um, for reproof, that might be a little bit harder. Uh, reproof is something that, that by which is a thing is proved or tested, or maybe a better way to say it is conviction. Like it will teach us, it will convict us, it will show us like show us areas of our life that are wrong, um, that need correction, which is the next one for correction, um, for training in righteousness, for for discipline. Um, and being right before God, it shows us those things. And why, why does Scripture do all this? What's the point of Scripture? It says, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says it will make us complete. Think about that word. Like, and here's the question that came out of these two verses for me. Are you allowing Scripture to make you complete? Are you allowing Scripture to make you complete? Because that's what this is saying. That's what scripture itself is saying. The word of God himself. That's why you call, hear people call it God's word. That's why it's called the word of God. Because it's literally breathed out by him. These are his words. And what scripture says is that, that all of it, every bit of it that you can read from Genesis to Revelation, every bit of it is profitable for us. And it will teach us things about who God is. It will it will convict us of the things that we need to change in our life. It will correct us uh, and give us a correct understanding of things. It will train us in righteousness, righteousness and make us more like him. And the more that it's, it's going to make us complete or perfect is what it says. It's going to make us complete. Complete means lacking in nothing. That that's what scripture will do for us. Like we... we we have such easy access to Scripture and where we live. 
And it's saying that this book of God and what he has written is meant to be used to make us complete and equipped for every good work. Fully equipped for every good work. And so not only will it, com- it will complete us, but it will also make us equipped to help other people and bring life to people and bring uh, truth to other people that need it. It will help us uh, to set other people free from the bondage of sin. That's what Scripture, all these things, this is just a few verses, right? A few verses that say what Scripture can do in us and and through us and and for us and for other people. And yet this is the thing in, in my own life too that I so easily say I don't have time for. So essentially what I'm saying, I don't have time for Scripture. I'm saying I don't have time to be made complete right now. I got too many other things to run after. I don't have time to be made complete. Because I'm trying, to make, I'm trying to have this thing over here complete me instead. See how silly that is? Like, I'm running after this thing over here and this thing over here and this thing over here so that I can be fulfilled and complete. Yet the thing that I am so quick to toss to the side is the one thing that can actually complete me. And again, if you realize and recognize that we live in a world that is at battle and that there is a battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness, our enemy, more than anything else, what's the best thing he can do? Keep us out of our Bible. Because that will change us more than anything else. More than a sermon that you hear, more than somebody else um, telling you what they think about Scripture, you, in Scripture, in the truth, desiring to know more about God will change your life more than anything else. And so it's no surprise to me that the hardest thing when I talk to students or any followers of Christ the, the number one battle seems to always be like getting into scripture getting into scripture getting into scripture we talk about it all the time everything that every sin that you you commit you believe a lie over the truth you believe a lie over the truth you believe this thing is going to give you ultimate pleasure ultimate comfort ultimate whatever you believe that this is going to give you all these things that you want and you believe a lie over the truth And the number one way to combat lies is know the truth well. And so the best thing the enemy can do against us is keep us out of the truth so that we'll keep believing lies and we'll keep walking into sin, not falling into it, walking into it on our own power. And so if you don't hear anything else tonight, hear, get into the truth on your own. Abide in that. And you will see more change in your life than you've ever seen before. If you make a commitment to do that. And God says that that will make you not just a better person, but that it will make you complete. Which means lacking in nothing. 